Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. In a study by Esquire, 54% of women said they'd rather be hit by a car than considered fat. If I'm being honest, I've been those women. So for me, this isn't just a podcast, it's personal. I'm Danielle Robay, TV host and journalist, and years of celebrity interviewing taught me that beauty isn't about what you look like, it's about who you become. Each week, I'm having thought-provoking conversations, digging into the stories of people who put a new spin on pretty. From entrepreneurs and authors to politicians and celebrities, no topic is off limits. So join me every Thursday for a new episode to feel pretty inspired, pretty seen, and best of all, pretty smart. It's just like this place where like there's an not an absence of thought, but like it feels like the noise has quiet down and we're just fully immersed and engaged in the moment. And it feels really good to be you. It also is like where excellence tends to take place. But the thing that takes us out of it is actually future moment thoughts or past like thoughts, right? Like what just went wrong? What could go wrong? Or, oh my God, look, I'm I'm in flow state. Nope, actually, like, <laughs> that was your exit. <laughs> You're out of it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod, everybody. Hope you're having a wonderful start to your day. I could not be more excited to bring you this episode today because we have someone truly special in the house today. Our guest is Nicole Davis. She is a two-time Olympic medalist, high-performance mindset coach, and legendary, iconic volleyball player. And on top of that, she is my personal mentor. Love her to death. She is responsible for most of my sanity. (laughs) And I am so grateful that she is back on RealPod for a second time to take us through a deep dive on performance anxiety. Performance anxiety is one of those things that sneaks up and it gets you and it interferes with your ability to be your best in the moments that you spend the most time preparing for, right? It's like the irony. What is this thing that is making my heart pound and my hands shake and my eyes feel watery and my mind run wild that gets in the way of me doing my best? Now, Nicole has competed on the most competitive, high-pressure stages in the world, and she now is a high-performance mindset coach and came here today to explain what performance anxiety is, how we can manage it, 
how we can step into flow state and overall tap into our true potential that is there no matter what. So buckle up because you're in for a great one. I want to give a quick shout out to Coach Holly, who left a five-star review. What's up, Coach Holly? She says, I love this podcast as a former college athlete and current college coach. I really appreciate having a positive role model for athletes to look up to. I constantly tell my students and athletes about Real Pod because it's so refreshing to have someone preaching this message. Real Pod is a must-have in your library. Thanks, Coach Holly. Appreciate it big time. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. This one's got a lot of takeaways. If you are enjoying Real Pod and are a weekly listener and you keep coming back, it would mean so much to me and it would really help the show if you would take the time to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It takes like less than 20 seconds to give it a rating and leave your feedback. And I love, love hearing from you all. And you just might be the shout out on next week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you stream so you get that automatic download every single Wednesday when we bring you new guests and new conversations that are always the realest. All right, without further ado, let's dive into this episode on performance anxiety with two-time Olympic medalist and high-performance coach, the GOAT, Nicole Davis. Nicole, talk about performance anxiety. Me right now, <laughs> sitting <laughs> with you. <laughs> Why? Even though we've had this conversation probably a million times, just through my own anxiousness and, and struggle at school. But that's why I'm so glad you're here because so many, I want to say athletes in particular, but also people doing anything can feel anxiety surrounding the thing that they do the best, that they know the best. And so I want to dive into what is happening? What's going on? What does it mean? I'm hyped that you brought a notes page. I have a notes page much uglier than yours, <laughs> but but I'm excited to dive in. So how are you? I'm great. I'm excited to dive in too. I think this is one of the things that when I look back like on my career, there, there was a moment where like the performance anxiety was so high that like this is actually what sent me partially on the trajectory to now to like studying it right to understanding the psychology behind what I was experiencing because it feels so wonky to like be you and not have your brain and your body connected in moments where you like want to be your best it feels so wonky and it's so defeating but the thing is is like it feels like it's like a death sentence in some way especially if you're an athlete performing like that but it doesn't have to be like it's so workable and so much of it has to do with like not understanding like what's actually happening. Anxiety can be really good for us. We need a little bit of it to perform well. It's when it's excessive that it becomes problematic to performance. And when we look at what excessive means, it's like what you're describing, that like heartbeat that suddenly was like calm and in our chest. It feels like it's a lump in our throat. Um, many people will notice butterflies in their stomach, trembling in their hands, or suddenly their, their limbs go numb or they feel extra heavy. Some people get chills. Some people feel really hot, right? Like we know these experiences and we know when it's like over the edge and there's something that takes place that like cognitively, like we start having those dysfunctional thoughts that we were talking about, which revolve around like negative beliefs about yourself, like your ability, negative bias, which was what we were talking about, right? The catastrophizing of everything. And then the negative thoughts, which is like, I'm not good enough. Like this is the worst that I've ever played. And also like jumping to conclusions about like, okay, well, 
coach is going to take me out. I'm never going to get a scholarship. Like my family's going to hate me, <laughs> like those types of things, right? So negative beliefs, negative bias and negative thoughts. And then what happens for us, if we look at like the cycle of performance anxiety, because it's usually not just like this one thing, right? Because it feels so uncomfortable to us, it then like usually becomes a thing, right? And we try to, because it's so uncomfortable, we try to avoid it, right? And so it's like the suppressing, like, no, 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 I don't feel this. Right. Which then makes it like even more intense. So that's avoidance. Or we do like safety behavior. So like someone who's like developed a routine to deal with the anxiety and then relies on the routine rigidly, right? That's kind of a safety behavior. You can think of other safety behaviors. Or we just like try to escape it. You think about like as an athlete, though, we can't escape. Like it's hard to avoid. It's hard to engage in safety behaviors because we are on a stage. That was the perfect description. I just have flashbacks to Honestly, sometimes for performance anxiety, it feels like a light switch. And you know this, but just to bring everyone listening up to speed, I came out of high school super confident, like serve me the ball. I want to play at USC. Oh, I'm a walk-on. I'm going to earn a starting spot. Like all the confidence in the world. You flash forward two months into that freshman season. I'm on the court. I'm seeing that playing time. And I don't even want to play. Like tears in my eyes. I remember being on serve receive. And when my hands weren't on my knees, they would shake. So I'd put them on my knees. And I just had no idea how I went from this confident player who enjoyed the game to now being in a place where everything was analyzed. I couldn't get out of my own head. What happens there? (laughs) I just want to normalize the experience. First of all, like the, the same thing happened to me, except a little later, right? So at USC, I like I felt so confident to the point of like arrogance at times. Like I would purposely pass the hardest jump serve with one arm just to see if I could do it. And then I got to the (laughs) national team. And I remember specifically one match where I I had so much anxiety that like I felt like I didn't even have the strength to take a sip of water because I was shaking so much. Like it felt like such an out-of-body experience for me. And so we look at just like what anxiety is, right? It's, It's worry about what could happen in the future. And when it becomes problematic is when it's like too much worry, too much fear, right? And so when we talk about performance anxiety, then it's like fear or anxiety in situations where there's like the risk of judgment, the risk of rejection, the risk of embarrassment. And that fear and anxiety when it comes on board is too much for us. And so it tends to impact performance And then that begins a cycle, right? So it's not the actual like experience of itself. It's what happens in terms of like how we make meaning of that and how we interpret it that then like becomes this cycle of like feeling performance anxiety when we go to do the thing we freaking love but can't figure it out, right? And it's uncomfortable. So it's unbearable. And we also don't understand it. So then that also creates anxiety around it. Like, oh my God, am I going to have anxiety again? And it's tough because... For all of us, like there could be like a different trigger to it, right? Like it could be, for example, just like not having family support, not feeling that support then puts extra pressure, right, on you to perform. And so then if you're not performing, it's like, oh my God. And then you start thinking about all those things that like could be the consequences of that. For some of us, like the the higher like level you go, it could be like, there's some inconsistency in terms of performance and execution. So that like plants a seed of doubt and is watered by the interpretation or the meaning. Sometimes it's just like 
you freaking lost it, right? <laughs> like you were good. And then suddenly it's like, why do I suck? Well, something that comes to mind is people who want it so bad, Yeah, which is, that's the irony of it. It's like, I want it so bad more than anything, mm-hmm. yet I can't allow myself to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when you think about it, like when you want something really bad, like what happens in your body? I feel that way right now, to be honest. I'm like, I want this episode Great. to be really good. Great. So tell us what it feels like. It sucks. My heart feels cold. It's like pounding. And this is stupid because we talk every day. And then the minute that we talk in front of cameras, and I know people are going to listen, I'm like, oh my gosh, have I, do I sound stupid? Like that's happening in my mind right now. I love it. Right. And so, yeah. So your heart's pounding, maybe like your breathing's up in your chest instead of your belly, like your hands are shaking. Like we all know what that feeling's like. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is there's a voice narrating what you're doing mm-hmm. and it's a totally pessimistic view. It's mm-hmm. like, that was stupid. Are you listening? Did you hear what she just said? I mean, from a sports perspective, it's like, is my coach watching me? Am I going to get benched? Did my teammate high five me? Was that pass perfect? That you can't quiet the noise. It is difficult to quiet the noise for a good reason, right? We know as athletes that like, we want to feel a little of this like adrenaline, right? A little of this like tension, but there reaches a point for all of us where it's like, now I'm over the edge and it no longer is like helping me to be sharp and aggressive and accurate. I just feel like I can't do or say anything right. And that is like the fight or flight system kicking on. And so if you think about like, let's just like normalize the experience, right? Like when we care about something a lot, right? We're motivated, right? Which increases like physiology, the arousal, the heartbeat, the breathing, the shaking, all that stuff, right? We need some of that to be really good. But when we're highly motivated, then we almost like when we care too much, so to speak, our brain doesn't like know the difference between that and like, oh my God, there's like someone with a knife. I need to run and get the hell out of here, right? And so it's like, okay, when I need to run and get the hell out of here, like I don't need to think and I don't need fine motor movements. I need to just be able to like go, right? And when you need to just be able to go, you also are like in a space of like, okay, let me find what's like dangerous. Let me find what's dangerous. Let me find what's broken. Like, let me find what's wrong. And so it's hard to see the good when we feel anxiety. That's also like one of the things that create like maintains it is like, I feel wonky. I hear all of this noise and I can't even like, that last pass was actually good, but I can't even like celebrate it or like anchor to it because I'm so worried about making a mistake the next play. Why is the default that negativity? Like, why are we all quick to default to what's bad and what's threatening and what's scary? Well, there's a couple reasons maybe, and it depends on you, but like just the function of the brain is survival, right? And so if if our like fight or flight system has kicked on, we don't need to like be able to celebrate the silver lining in a situation. We need to get the hell out of there, right? The other part is like, if you have gotten used to that pattern of thinking, right? Which as athletes, that's kind of how we're coached hey, this was broken, let's fix it. Hey, this is broken, let's fix it. Hey, this is broken, let's (laughs) fix it. So then that is how you think about things. And then there's an interpretation like, oh my God, am I not prepared enough? And so that like combination of what's happening inside of our body, but also we've almost like earned the anxiety from the way that we've been coached and the patterns of thoughts that we've developed that the hyper-focus of what's wrong in moments that feel important to us and then we have that activation in our body, then just like, we can't. We can't get to a place of like, oh, that felt really good. It's like, no, I feel, I still feel wonky. Like, I can't do this. I'm not sure. It's really uncomfortable. I'm really uncertain about what's going to happen. And that pattern of thought is like so loud that we can't hear the, good job, Victoria. 
<laughs> that was really good. <laughs> you know, like we can't. It's tough. Anxiety is something that I still deal with. And I know many of you listening to this episode right now might as well. And not to mention, I just feel like in general, all of us trying to balance work, school, home life, relationships, the re-entering into society, now the pandemic is like kind of over, but still not really, can just feel so overwhelming and challenging. And working with a therapist can give you the support you are missing right now. And for that reason, I'm so glad that Talkspace is sponsoring this episode. I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace. You can sign up for it online and start therapy the same day you sign up. You can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist. So it's incredibly convenient. You can have virtual sessions right from the comfort of your own home. And there are thousands of licensed therapists with a variety of specialties like depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, performance anxiety. I loved the therapist I was matched with. She was so nice, helpful, responsive, and it was just convenient to meet with her online on my computer. And also listen to this. Not only is Talkspace a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy, but you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7 and they will engage with you daily five days a week. Having that access to your therapist is so wonderful because sometimes you just get the urge to talk about a problem and it can feel so cathartic to just send the message right away. I'm such a huge advocate for therapy, as you all know, so I am very excited to tell you that as a listener of this podcast, you will get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. So don't miss out to match with a licensed therapist today. Go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code REALPOD to get $100 off your first month. That's code REALPOD at Talkspace.com for $100 off your first month of therapy. With your performance anxiety, do you remember a moment or something that switched it for you? Because you said you had this confident arrogance Mm -hmm. and then you switched to this insane nervousness. And for me, I, I can track it back to a moment. I can tell you the practice. I can tell you what position I was in. I can tell you what coach said to me. And that was, that changed everything. And what happened was I realized kind of the severity of my situation. Not really. My anxiety convinced me what the severity of my situation was. And then like from that practice on, it was, everything was looked at. What was your experience like? I think there's definitely a moment where I realized like, whoa, this is like out of control. And like, uh, I, I like, I don't feel good. Um, but if I really like reflect, there were many moments before that, that were leading to that moment feeling as intense as it did, you know, like I went from being at USC and being sort of arrogant to like getting to the national team where it didn't matter how hard I worked or how hard I competed. Like it didn't mean that I was going to start and it didn't mean that I was going to make rosters. Wait, why didn't it mean that? Because everybody on the national team works hard. Like this idea that like you're going to do more, right? And somehow that's enough. It like everyone on the national team works hard. You just don't you don't get the right to be there anymore. So that is very like even. No one's dogging it. No one walks into the gym and is like, hey, we got to work harder. Like everyone is doing that. Whereas before, like I would work harder than everyone and I would outcompete everyone. And it's like, okay, you're starting. It's like, great. Like I'm getting exactly what I want. And it was the first time that I wasn't getting exactly what I want under like a very fine microscope, right? Where like every ball was being statted and every drill we did was being statted. Those numbers were being placed on the board every single day. And it's like, hey, by the way, you're not going to play in this match, you know? And so it's like, whoa, like I don't know how to be right now. And so I was I, like looking back, I was starting to feel it then, like all of the setbacks, right? I wasn't bouncing back from 
But then the particular moment was when I like, I lost a good friend of mine suddenly to a heart attack at 34, right? And that like shook me. Um, Cause it was like, well, if that can ha happen to him, like, what does that mean for me? And like, if I can't be good right now, what does that mean for me? It must mean that I'm not good enough and I'm not gonna make an Olympic team. And so it felt so severe to use your word. Like it felt like the world would end if I didn't perform well in that moment. But because so much was happening in my body, like I, I couldn't even get to a place where like it, it felt halfway good to be me. And that was the moment where I was like, something's wrong. Like this isn't, this isn't normal. Like this amount of anxiety is not normal. The thing that sticks out is how your mind is trying to fill in blanks to yeah. things that you don't know. Yeah. And that assumption making, I mean, shit, I was 18 years old when you told me you're making up things that you don't know are true. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, you have no idea that your mind tries to present, okay, well, what if this happens? Instead of just being like, well, I don't know. We'll find out tomorrow. It's like, well, let's prepare for the worst. <laughs> Literally prepare for the worst, like as if the world would end, right? And then that just like increases the anxiety and the activation. And then there's like a part of it, which is like, my mind's creating like this catastrophic event or scenario. And now I've not been like performing well also. So now my like self-esteem is not great. Like my self-confidence is not great. And so I'm not sure now that like, let's say worst case scenario happens. I don't start the next match, right? Sitting in this like room where like, who cares? Like that doesn't actually mean anything. But like, should that worst case scenario happen now because that's impacted my self-esteem, my self-confidence, now I'm not sure that I can cope with that, right? And so that's also part of it is this like cycle of like anxiety, bad performance, my self-esteem and self-confidence is like now broken down. And so now I don't know if worst case scenario happens, if I can cope, when in reality, we're the most resilient, gritty human beings in the world, right? Like, and but like the ability to tap into that and see that like, yeah, like I'll actually be okay if worst case scenario happens is like out the window as well. So obviously anxiety is super future oriented. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is, well, what if this, what if that? And, you know, predicting the outcome. Where does presence play a role? It's everything, right? The ability to get out of like that dark place, that dark train of thought that our mind has taken us to and just like re-engage with the present moment is absolutely everything. And there's a million different ways to do that, right? One is like the awareness that, whoa, like I'm there, <laughs> like I'm so far gone. But the second is like, okay, how do I bring myself back? And that's really like, those are skills, right? That we can get so much better at. Like you mentioned earlier, just like curiosity, like, yeah, this sucks. It's hard. Let me like validate my own experience. It feels so bad to be me. And I wonder how good I can be right now knowing that it feels bad to be me. So curiosity is like one way to bring us back to the present moment. We talk so much about mindfulness, right? And I think it's, it sounds abstract to just observe what we're going through and then like mindfully connect to the breath, right? Because the breath happens in the present moment is another way to come back. Gratitude is also another way to come back. Like, this is so hard, but like not many people get to do this thing that I'm doing. And that's incredible. Like, that's a whole different part of our brain that lights up when we connect to curiosity, when we connect to gratitude, that is the antithesis of an anxious mind. 
um, like jumping into a conversation with someone, right? What, what we'll no- notice, and I mentioned earlier, is when we feel anxious, we tend to avoid. And sometimes like when we look at interpersonally, what that looks like is like you kind of withdraw from a co- conversation. And the way out of that is to throw yourself back in it. And so if we're looking at like a team sport, it's like high-fiving and like giving feedback. That's why like often the coaching is like help your teammates out if you're not feeling good because it throws us back into the present moment. And when we're focused on other people, we can't focus on ourselves and how like bad it feels to be us. So there's so many like little things that we can do in those moments to like re-engage with the present moment. One of my top three things you've ever taught me is that how good can you be when it doesn't feel good to be you? And that's talking about when you're in the middle of a game and it's time out and you know you've been playing horribly and you're feeling anxious. How good can you be at this bottom state? Because if you can just maintain okay or good here, you're going to be lights out when you do feel great. Or, you know, if you're having the worst day ever, but you have to go into the meeting and you have to lead the PowerPoint, whatever it is, you know, how good can you be? And I think that challenge and that curiosity, it is so important. And I just want to double click on that because that was a big helper for me. Yeah. It's going to be difficult, right? And because difficult is uncomfortable, we, we want to move away from it. But this idea that like everything's going to go as planned also like perpetuates anxiety, right? That's kind of like the perfectionism thing. And if we can get to a place of like, how good can I be right now when it's difficult, then that creates space for us to move away from the anxiety, to move away from the idea that because it doesn't feel good, I can't be good right now. Well, at the end of the day, like whatever your Olympics is, right, it's likely that like you could get sick. Like are you, got, are you not going to play in the gold medal match because you have the flu? You know, like that was also part of it. It's like it's great training for like everything else that we have to do in life because it's not always going to feel good to be us, but we can be incredible still in those moments. I just want to figure out like how not to have that be the baseline because then it's exhausting, right? So this like relationship with things being difficult is also part of it. Like it's okay if it's difficult. It's okay if it's difficult, right? I love that because we want everything to be happy and we want everything to work out. And I think the more common conversation people have is like, I just want to be happy. And so when you dial that down and you look into it, it's like whenever there's conflict, whenever there's uncertainty, it's like we have to jump to, how do I fix this? How do I get rid of it? Instead of like, hey, I can just be here. Yeah. I think, how do I sit with this and just be okay with this, right? rather than trying to suppress it or push it away or avoid it, which then just like intensifies all of it. And so if we don't want to be anxious anymore, there's no way through it other than to sit through it, right? Like the breathing is nice because it helps regulate like the all that like physiological activity. But at the end of the day, like we want to build a tolerance for it so that it doesn't feel so uncomfortable and wonky to us that like we can't be okay because we do think things are important. Like, they are important. There are consequences. Like, shit gets real for us. And, like, the more that we can't be okay with it being hard, the more anxiety we're going to feel around it. So, essentially, would you say, like, the antidote to anxiety is presence? Yeah, one antidote, right? And I, I say one because I, I hesitate around that because it, I think it feels slippery for a lot of people. Like it's not natural for our mind to be in the present moment. You know, there's some research that suggests that like almost half of the day we're not present. Our mind is wandering. Which is wild. Isn't it? 
Because I feel like the most peaceful, best way to live is in the present moment. And yet the minority functions there. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you imagine if we just got 10% of that back? 10% of the 47% of the time that we were mind wandering. So yeah, joy, thriving, excellence in performance. It all takes place when our mind is present. But the more that we can come back and anchor to like just being where our feet are, the better chance we're going to give ourselves to to experience happiness, like to perform the way that we want to perform, to feel joy, to feel connected to ourselves, to feel connected to others. I just like, I don't want to miss the boat on it. It's hard work to like, to train the mind to be that discipline, but it's worth it. Quick interruption. I am so excited because tomorrow I am headed to spend the rest of the summer with my family on the East Coast. I'm thrilled. I literally cannot wait. What's going to make this trip even better and so easy is the fact that I get to pack everything into my beautiful Away suitcase. You guys, I have been using Away suitcases for years, so I am hyped is an understatement, honestly, that they are sponsoring RealPod. Away is a modern lifestyle brand that creates thoughtful products for every travel and every kind of trip. They started with the perfect suitcase and literally, you guys, it's perfect. Crafted with features that make travel so seamless. And now when travel looks honestly more different than ever before, you can count on Away's range of suitcases, bags, accessories, whenever you take that next trip. I actually have two Away suitcases because I'm obsessed, one in gray and one in pink. And I can't choose between them because I love them equally. And both of these suitcases and every suitcase from Away comes with an interior organization system hidden removable laundry bag, four 360 spinner wheels to guarantee the smoothest roll, so many cute colors, a lock for your luggage, and a TSA approved combination lock to keep all of your belongings safe. Now here's the best part, the benefits. Away products are designed to last a lifetime. So if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. There's also a hundred day trial on everything Away makes. You can take the product on the road, live with it, travel with it. And then if you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that 100 day trial period. So start your 100 day trial and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials and best-selling suitcases at awaytravel.com real. So head to awaytravel.com real and start your 100 day trial today. This is where one of filling out my top three. This is one of the other ones is focusing is a choice. Refocusing is a skill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did I remember that right? Yeah. It's like, (laughs) you know, like hopefully something that you and I are saying is like valuable to someone. So people are like choosing to tune in, but like inevitably, like you hear a noise or you feel your stomach growl or you have a thought of like, oh my God, I forgot to do that. That takes us away and so it's like the awareness that we've been taken away and the, the refocusing that really is like what we want to get better at. This idea, especially for athletes, you know, we have these coaches that are telling us like, hey, let's focus. Hey, let's focus. It's like no one is actually like deeply focused for two hours at a time, right? We're lucky if we can get seven, 12 seconds in a row of like being present. And so the task really is like to, to recognize earlier that we've become distracted and then to come back. And hopefully that makes sense. Like my favorite meditation, one of my favorite meditation teachers calls that like the moment of celebration. Like, hey, like my drunk monkey mind is so deep (laughs) into like being distracted from what I was just doing. Like, can I come back? And with anxiety, what you were just describing is the spiral that takes place or the train of thought to like the deep, dark place. And so imagine if we got out of the spiral or off of that train like seconds earlier, how much better it would feel to be us. Like if we notice like the self-critique and the judgment and then was like, ah, 
Look at that. I'm noticing I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough right now. And there's nothing credible about this. I actually deserve to be here and I'm back, right? Versus uh, I'm not good enough. The coach is going to take me out. This is going to be the worst day of my life. My boyfriend's going to break up with me. Like, and there you go, right? Not judging thoughts for me was at least a pathway to presence was if I have a shitty past or I do something bad and instead of being like, oh my God, that was so bad. Or instead of being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my mind wandered again. Today I was working on presence. Like, you know, when you start <laughs> uh-huh. to be negative and you judge it, it it adds fuel to the fire instead of just noticing, experiencing, regrouping. And I think judgment is, we love to label. Like I would say judging and labeling. Like even in friendships, I've noticed that I have this tendency to be like, I'm labeling you as one of my core friends and you are outside that circle and you have to be in the circle. You have to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, Victoria, like this is so messed up. Like you're not going to have any friends because no <laughs> one fits these labels. And so recently I like had this realization. I was like, I'm going to stop labeling my relationships with people. We hang out, we hang out. If we do this, we do this. And I can't tell you how much more full my social life has been because I've been open to things with people instead of being like, well, you know, this is the first time we've hung out in a while and like blah, 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 blah. So not judging, I think, is big. Yeah. We take it back to anxiety. That's part of it, right? It's the interpretation. It's the judgment around the experience that like makes it more intense. Like, oh my God, I have butterflies. I must be nervous. This is bad, right? Versus like, oh, look at that. I have butterflies. I must really care about this. Like, let's go, you know? Like, and it sounds like so simple, but like that like flip to like from like evaluation to non-judgment like can mean everything in the way we perform but like the quality of our relationships the quality of our connection to ourselves but yeah it is like so quick to do that partially because that's the way the brain is designed right like we need to be able to understand if something is like dangerous or not in a split second and so it's really easy to like do that and then if we look at how we're socialized then that like also reinforces that judgment is something like a, a, a way that we should think, right? Women in particular, like we're socialized to do and say the right thing and we are rewarded for achievement. And so when when we only garner love and respect from that, like it's no wonder that like we judge ourselves if if that's not what we're doing, right? It's no wonder that we should on ourselves if there's a risk of us not achieving or if we've done something that maybe is embarrassing or wasn't like acceptable to someone else, right? We judge ourselves, we judge the quality of our thoughts, we judge our internal experiences. And yeah, of course, we're going to judge other people. But it keeps us stuck as well, again. Like it keeps us stuck in that versus like coming back to the present moment. Gosh, so true. Something I do want to shift to is obviously flow state is that's like the enlightenment for an athlete, right? It's flow state. And it's one of those things where if you try to get there, oh, you'll never get there. You can't try it all. Like sometimes it just happens. I'm like, I'm in it. It's like, everyone stay calm. I'm in flow state. But then you're out. The minute you're like, I'm in it. You're like, yeah, yeah I lost it. Where'd it go? Exactly. So what is flow state? How, how do we get there? <laughs> flow state is, well, all recognize flow state as like that place where it just like feels really good to be you. If you're not an athlete listening to that, to this right now, like it doesn't have to be an athletic performance. Like if you've played music or done anything in the arts, 
you'll experience this, but also like in the conversations that you walk away with, like your heart's so full and like it felt like time went by so fast. That's also like a version of flow state. So most people recognize that like time slows down in some sort of way. For athletes, when time like appears to slow down, that's when like things are easy, right? It's like the play when you watch it back is happening so like fast, but like it feels like you're seeing it so easily. But like peak performance is like closely linked to flow state, right? And in flow state, it's intrinsically rewarding. So it almost becomes addicting for us. Like we want more of those experiences because it feels so good to be us. But also there's like this sense of control around it that feels really good. Usually there's like some risk involved in what we're doing because that helps trigger flow state. And so it's just like this place where like there's an, not an absence of thought, but like it feels like the noise has quiet down and we're just fully immersed and engaged in the moment. And it feels really good to be you. It also is like where excellence tends to take place. The other part of that is like if we look at the link between that and like joy and thriving and creativity. They're like very close states of mind, right? And so we essentially like want more flow state. We like want to be in the zone more often. But the thing that takes us out of it, as, as you were speaking to, is actually future moment thoughts or past like thoughts, right? Like what just went wrong? What could go wrong? Or, oh my God, look, I'm I'm in flow state. Nope, actually. Like, <laughs> that was your exit. <laughs> You're out of it. And the reason being is like flow takes place at this intersection of like a challenge, the perception of challenge, um, the perception that we have enough skill to meet the challenge or just enough skill to meet the challenge, and then deep focus. So flow follows focus is the phrase, right? And so we don't get to access flow state if we haven't like, figured out how to get our mind back to the present moment. In a weird way, I kind of feel like I was in flow state up until having performance anxiety, at least in sports. Like, I kind of think ignorance is bliss. Like, there's some people who just, for lack of a better term, like not in that way, are just kind of stupid and they just are happy and they just live their lives and don't worry about things. And then I feel like the moment I started to realize my life and what I wanted and what I meant to people, that's when like you open this door that you walk into in your brain and it's like, I'm in a maze. I'm the point of no return. I just wish I was like 17 again and played volleyball Mm -hmm. and just played it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For the joy of playing it, right? And so that's the like intrinsic motivation piece of flow state is like, it's just so joyful to play. And there, there are like, it feels like a challenge rather than like this threat, right? The threat of judgment, the threat of whatever. And like, it doesn't matter like what our skill is because like really we're just doing it for the joy of it, right? For learning because that feels good to us. And so, yeah, like you probably spent more time in flow state because <laughs> of like the lack of awareness, right? Like there is a double-edged sword to awareness, right? Like, like the awareness that there are consequences to the things that we do and then not skills to deal with the consequences is like, whoa, You know, like that's what you're talking about is like I have all this awareness now of like what's happening and the outcomes and the gravity of outcomes and the consequences, whether it's like actual consequences to my sport or my relationships. And like, what do I do with this awareness? Let me just like run like a gerbil through the maze of my brain trying to figure it out versus like just take a breath. (laughs) Awareness has its pros and cons. I remember this one time, June, sophomore, junior year. 
I went bowling with Max and it was like during a weekday at SC and I'm like, give me the bowling ball. Let's go. I'm like, straight. I'm just like bowling. I'm like, no bumpers. And I just sit down and I'm like, where, where is this side of me in the gym? Because when you're playing, when it's like almost when you don't care about something, you're so much better. Like, I don't know if you saw that time Rory McIlroy, someone yelled at him like, oh, I could make that putt, like a putt that he missed. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, okay, come out. And he called the guy from the oh. crowd and the guy made the putt. I know. And I mean, it's just. <laughs> yeah, it's the, so here's the thing is like, it's not that I don't care at all. It's that I care just enough, right? And so that goes back to like, that like edge that we get to, right? Because like, you cared enough bowling with Max to to like actually try, right? Because if you don't care at all, then it's like you don't try that hard. So we need to care a little bit so that we're giving our best effort because effort does matter, right? To build skill and to be good at something. But the moment that it like goes over that edge of like, I care too much. I'm too attached to the outcomes. I'm too invested in this thing. Then that's when we tend to like activate too much we tend to interpret things as bad. And then that becomes sort of like an anxious mind. And so it's like, where is that area for you? Like, where is that area where like it feels playful, but it feels like competitive? It feels fun. Like, can you figure that out and try to tap into that more often? Which is not often the message we get growing up in sports culture, right? Like, I just feel like I was heard like, you got to want to die for the win and like every inch, like, the only way I could be at a place where I could play was if before the games I watched The Office, if I did, if I acted like I just didn't care about the game because I knew there's a baseline of a lot of care, but, which just felt weird. It felt like I, I don't know. I mean, you know, being an Olympian, it's like they say you got to want to be the best. I mean, you were the best in the world. You were literally the best in the world at, at the time. I mean, did you have that mentality of like, I've got to eat, breathe, sleep, my performance and my game you know? Yeah, I do know <laughs> really well. I mean, that I don't even know. Like. Yeah. Tell me what it's like. Um, yeah. No, I think this is one thing about like elite athletes, though, is that um, we learn to have a relationship with that, like that activation that we're able to like sustain it over a long period of time. And sometimes like we go over the edge of like caring or we become too attached and then we like calibrate. Right. But like to be an Olympic athlete, there's a willingness to be uncomfortable. There's a willingness like to do difficult things. So the baseline of your like your tolerance of anxiety is is higher than like the normal population, right? We just operate at a higher baseline of anxiety. And some people figure out how to be really good at that and to like use and harness it. And other people like almost fall victim to it because it becomes like too much or it burns you out or you can't recover enough. Right. And so everyone is like, when we talk about like performance and that relationship between like enough activation to be good, but not too much, it's like unique to you. While at the same time, like if you're in an elite athletic environment, you're like bumping up that baseline kind of every day with the training and getting uncomfortable. So yeah, it's tough. But this also speaks to, and like I'm, I'm channeling Dr. Mike, my mentor right now, like why it's important to know like why you value the thing, right? Like why does it matter to you to be the best in the world? Why does it matter to you to play a collegiate sport? Why does it matter to you to pay, play like a team sport versus an individual sport? Why does it matter to you to like, um, I don't know, like be an entrepreneur? Why, right? 
because that's also a way out of it is to connect to the values. Like when the why is so clear to you, and I don't mean in like a Simon Sinek, like know your purpose, like that's such a big question, right? Like we don't have to connect to like the broader purpose in life. We're trying to pass volleyballs, but like, why does it matter to me to be like, to do difficult things right now? It's because like, I know actually that like, it's in me to be the best in the world. And I know also that like, I really care about representing our country. Like that is what matters. And so I don't care that it's hard right now. I don't care that I like feel this sort of way right now because it, it, the values that I hold of like working hard and like leaning into difficult supersede how uncomfortable this is for me. What if someone's why is because I want to make a lot of money and buy my parents a house or because I want people at the school to think I'm cool? Like what if the why is maybe not the best why? Should they change it? Mm -hmm. I love that question. And I want to honor that there's like some judgment in in that, right? Like what if someone's why is to make a lot of money in XYZ? Cool. Be about it. That's what you value. You're extrinsically motivated. Be about it. Know the traps, right? Of being that extrinsically motivated, which is that for most people, when there is the risk that you won't get that outcome, something takes place for you called anxiety, right? And so then do something about it, right? But if that's your why, be about it. If your why was, um, what was the second one? I want people at the school to think I'm cool. Right. I'm trying not to have judgment around that, right? Because I know what a trap that is, the trap of like comparison. And I know how that's led to a lot of depression um, these days in part because of social media, but like if you want people to like view you as cool, then what, what does that mean to be cool? Be really clear on that. Like, and be really clear on why that matters to you. Is it because if you're viewed as cool, then you have a sphere of influence that you can like uplift people, then be about it. Right. So I don't want to be in the business of like, Telling people what telling people what their why should be or what they should value. What I want to say is like be clear about it, be about it, know the traps to it, right? Which is like if you if you have a strong need for people to view you as cool, what's likely to happen is some people aren't going to view you as cool. And how do you want to be? How do you want to show up and be right when that's not happening for you? This is making me think of personal philosophy statements, which I love. And we probably don't have all that could be a whole other podcast on personal philosophy statements. But like, how important is it for someone to spend time getting clear on who they are at their core? I I think it's like, it's everything, right? Like if we look at why people feel so like, threatened by the thought of like what others think of me could be bad it's like so it's connected to that right like I don't need approval from someone else if I'm so clear on like who I am as a person and how I want to like show up and demonstrate that on a daily basis I don't need approval of others and there is also as like this the value in that is like I know also that I'm not going to show up and be that person every day, right? Like, I know I'm going to screw up. I know I'm going to say the wrong things. I know, like, that there are some days where I'm going to be so rigid and fixed and it's all about me being right instead of curious and open and loving. Um, And I need to be able to, like, have the reference point of, like, 
whoa, like I'm so off on like the things that matter most to me. How do I calibrate to come back? And who do I want the people in my life to be to help me like do that and be that? So it's everything. Like you don't need a, a sports psychologist if you're so clear on like what you want to stand for in a moment. Because you're so fascinating. I'm sure everyone listening is like, oh, well, what is, what's her why? What's her, what's her philosophy? Would you be willing to share? Yeah, of course. My philosophy is live in love curiously. Has that evolved since? It has, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so the, the larger version is live curiously, think wildly, risk wisely. And I've distilled it down even further um, to live in love curiously. Because I feel like that kind of captures everything and really like the word that captures me at my best, not just at my best, but like when I feel most aligned and authentic is curiosity. And I can think about how that transcends like wherever I take my heart, whether it's tennis is the sport that I love to play most now. It's like when I'm playing tennis and I like can't quite figure out a shot because it is so technical that like I feel the most joy in the moments where I'm like curious versus like beating myself up, which is what I used to do as a volleyball athlete or when I'm not agreeing with my partner, like the trap of like not validating someone and not like meeting someone where they're at is in not being curious about what it's like for them to be in that moment with you, you know? So like the curiosity for me transcends like wherever I take my heart. And when I am most curious and open and accepting, that is like when I feel my best and feel most aligned, feel most capable um, of showing up and dealing with whatever comes my way. I want to dive into this because now I'm having thoughts and questions and realizing things about myself as I hear your statement. So obviously yours has changed slightly. I think a few years ago, it had something to do with making ripples everywhere you go, making an impact and it's changed. And I feel like one of my, I don't want to call it flawed label is negative, but I like to be defined, have an answer. And so I think I struggle to find a philosophy that I feel is accurate for me because no one can define themselves one year of their life and then that be maybe the same the following years to come. So how can someone in a healthy way go about having this conversation with themselves and discovering what their philosophy is? Because I don't, I need to do the work. I don't, like, how would I do this? Yeah. Are you, are you open to me coaching you up right now? Please. Okay. How the heck did you decide that like, I'm going to go to USC and be a walk-on and like try to start? What made you think that you could do that? I have this weird thing about myself where I know I make shit happen, like okay. across my life. So we should be writing that phrase down. I know I make shit happen. Okay. And then you went through some difficult stuff at USC. And on the other side of it now is you as a mental health advocate and a body image advocate. Most people aren't willing to put themselves out there to be that vulnerable, to have a voice to do that. Like, why would you even do that? because I remember the shame and the isolation I felt, and I'm aggressively passionate about saving anyone from that. So that's what comes to mind. Mm -hmm. So aggressively passionate. When you have these conversations, like, what are you hoping for? To help other people. Mm -hmm. So I know I make shit happen, aggressively passionate, and there's something in you that's like deeply invested in helping other people. And like, if we like boil down helping other people, like 
I might even call that like connectedness, right? Like there's, and I'm, I'm shotgunning a word to you. You have to figure out what it is for you, right? But like there's something about the value of like being connected to others and pulling them along and helping them in the most passionate ways because there's a million different ways that you could have gone about this, right? But you're like bringing all of yourself to it and your passion shows through. And there's this like idea that like, no, I'm, I'm going to make shit happen. That's like driving, right? The thoughts, the words, and the actions. And so if I were you, like if I like boiled it down, like what I'm hearing is your personal philosophy is I make shit happen. And what I'm hearing is the, the style that you do that is like with passion and aggression and that the why or the vision for your life is to help other people. Thanks for doing all the work for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And yeah, for everyone to know, Nicole and I have been tight for many years. So it's not like she just assessed me in <laughs> 30 minutes. I love all of that. I really do. I think my something I want to why myself on is like, well, what happens if I don't make shit happen? But then it's like, well, I make shit happen and the not making shit happen. Like when I'm depressed and anxious, I make shit happen and I get the F out of there. Even if it takes me some dark times and places. Oh, cool. Oh my gosh. Well, I thought that I'm, I'm happy to be used as a dummy in any situation. And I hope that that back and forth helped people. Maybe they can do this themselves. Yeah, I hope so too. I think if you can even get to like a couple of words or phrases that are like a reference point or an anchor for you. It'll just like those moments where you're not quite sure what to say or not quite sure what to do. It's like, well, okay, I make shit happen. Like I'm going to actually, I'm not sure that this can work out, but like, I'm going to just go for it, you know, like, and so it's, it's those types of like moments where like we're tested, where we need something. Otherwise we just get pushed around by the moment. We can get pushed around by the moment and it doesn't feel good. So in coming up with this, it's what anyone can call on in those moments of uncertainty, in those moments of overwhelming anxiety is, Mm -hmm. well, who am I at my core? Mm -hmm. And also something April Ross said once, which I love is like that you're going to have your back on the other side of anything. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what that situation is, that confidence and I'm going to have my back. I'm going to make it happen either way. Brings peace in the moment. So much peace, so much freedom and space. And also it gets you out of like the identity piece of like, I'm an athlete and who will I be if like this doesn't work out versus this is like how I feel most aligned. These are the thoughts and concepts that like I feel most authentic and the shifting away from like identifying with the things we do to like who we are (laughs) at our core. Right. Yeah. So that's something a lot I've struggled with. And I think a lot of people do is that identity and that story. Mm-hmm. Damn. Thank you. <laughs> we got on a tangent. <laughs> is there anything else that you think we should touch on? No, I just I really want to like hammer home that like that like anxiety is a normal part of the human experience. What we do with it will determine like how difficult it feels to us and that it's not a death sentence. Like it's very workable. Um, the quality of our thoughts matter and you can jump off the damn train at any time and reconnect with the present moment. Um, breathing is a great reset button, but like if it's not something that you've trained or you feel like doing, then figure out like how to switch things up. It doesn't have to be like, I need a sports psychologist. Just play a little bit to figure out like, how can I feel more aligned and authentic in this moment? And our mind is really powerful. And so we can use 
we can use imagery and visualization to kind of like practice how we want to feel more often than we spend time like trying to perfect a craft use your mind to your advantage to to connect to like how you want to feel and that's another way that we can kind of work around the anxiety that we like naturally comes up in moments that are important to us and if you're getting after it in life a lot's going to feel important so it's it's just like a good practice to get into that was so beautiful <laughs> has your heart rate come down yet um yeah it's definitely settled it's definitely settled thanks for sharing all the wisdom Thank you. This is Thank fun. you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.